set of page numbers. Before we hear God's word again, let's pray. Lord Jesus, your majesty surpasses all that your disciples could have imagined. Your goodness exceeds all that we think or understand. As your word is proclaimed today, open our minds and hearts to perceive your majesty and goodness more fully and to respond in joy. Amen. So Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, there are kind of three sections that I want us to look at. Three different parts of this narrative that kind of rise to the surface. And that I think will leave us with three challenges as we go forth. So the first part that I want us to look at is just in that first verse where it says... Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So if you remember back a couple weeks ago now, when we talked about the Beatitudes, that is how the Sermon on the Mount also started, in that Jesus separated himself from the crowds, kind of sought some space, and he took his disciples with them so that they could have some kind of isolation as they're teaching. And as I was reflecting on this passage, it made me think of how necessary that is for all of us at times. See, Jesus' disciples had been following him around, and as they're walking from city to city, they are seeing the amazing things that he is doing. They're hearing the great words he is teaching. They're also getting confused and overwhelmed by the things that they are seeing and hearing. Because Jesus came to kind of upend things, to give them a new perspective on God. And so in the midst of that, Jesus intentionally takes time 
times like these where he leads them up a mountain. Now in scripture, mountains are often seen as holy places, a place where you are a little bit closer to God, where the sacred is coming down to meet the secular. So they're significant for that reason, for seeking God's presence more clearly. But it is also a step away from the busyness of the cities, from the busyness of everyday life. It's an opportunity to step back and to reflect, to spend time looking over the things that you have seen and heard and to wonder about them. How often in our lives do we intentionally seek out these mountainside experiences? Not mountaintop in the sense of a high of God, of the really great experience, but mountainside in that we are seeking rest. We are seeking peace. We are seeking perhaps time apart from the demands of the world, where we're not having to serve anyone, we're not working, we're not traveling, we are simply dwelling in God's presence, ready to receive whatever message might come. Do we make that a priority in our faith lives? If Jesus has taught us this pattern of stepping aside, what do we need to do to follow his example? Now, next week is the start of Lent. And that's a really great time to reflect on the ways that we practice our faith. And perhaps a good time to experiment with new disciplines. So is perhaps stepping aside a discipline that you want to engage this year, seeking those spaces where there are no demands, no distractions. You can simply be and receive. Now, hopefully, Sunday morning is part of that, and that we do step aside to come to church as a community much as we see in this community of the three disciples. But I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, sometimes Sunday morning can become just one more box on our calendars. It's not always an intentional time of Sabbath and communion of God, but more an obligation we have. So is perhaps the challenge for us not seeking the physical space, but seeking the work in our own hearts to actually be prepared to encounter God with no distractions. I think that's sometimes harder. I can go and find a place of solitude, but can I quiet my own mind long enough to hear God's words? The beauty is we do have this community 
around us to help us. Because faith is a lifelong journey. We see that in scripture with the disciples. Of they actually walked with Jesus and they still got it wrong quite a bit. But Jesus didn't give up on them. He kept bringing them back to God. He kept bringing them back to himself where they could receive a good word, where they could feel confident of God's loving embrace around them. So then we move into the actual transfiguration, where Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became dazzling white. And there appeared Moses and Elijah. Now, if we were to take this back to the Greek, the word there for transfigured is the one that we get the English word metamorphosis from. So it's this complete change of state. You can't go back. Everything about you has been radically changed. And that's not actually what happened to Jesus. Because from the time that Jesus was born and through his whole life, this was always his nature. Jesus was always fully human and fully divine. So what is happening on this mountain is not so much that Jesus himself is changed, but that his full glory is revealed in such a way that the disciples who are witnessing it are forever changed. They have experienced Jesus in a way that they can't ever go back to just seeing him as a pretty wise human rabbi. Their whole perspective of God is being forever shifted in this encounter. Even when Peter says, it is right for us to be here, it is good, I will make dwellings. He is getting that something grand is happening here. and He wants to soak it in. And then to top it off, you have the voice of God coming and saying, this is my son, the beloved. With him I am pleased. Listen to him. Now I think the disciples would have probably argued that they had already been listening to Jesus. They had been following him around and learning from him and seeking every bit of his knowledge. And yet God is telling once again to listen. I think it's that reminder for us that perhaps what we hear from Jesus isn't always what Jesus is saying. We're very good at interpreting things in ways that we like. 
if we had started a chapter earlier, we would have come across this encounter where Jesus asks the disciples who he is. And Peter gets it right in saying that Jesus is the Christ. But then when Jesus foretells his death, Peter's like, no, that's not going to happen. He actually goes so far as to say, like, Lord forbid it, this cannot happen. So he heard the words Jesus was saying, but he didn't want to receive them. He wasn't getting the big picture of what Jesus was doing. He was thinking too narrowly about what God's plan was. I think that's the other beauty of mountainsides, is they give us a different perspective. We can see a broader expanse. Our minds are open to bigger things. We are transformed in our thinking. And I think that's the second challenge for us this week from this passage. For us to look in our own hearts and our own minds, to think about what boxes are we perhaps trying to fit Jesus into that really he is bursting out of. For Epiphany, our focus has been on the light of Christ going out to all nations. For the whole glory of what it meant that the Son of God came to earth. That is a big plan. Are we making it too narrow? Are we so focused on the local areas of darkness? the small sins, the broken relationships, the poverty, the unemployment, the hatred, all of which God cares about. But are we so focused on those that we miss that God is doing something bigger? God did not send Jesus just to overthrow one oppressive government. He sent Jesus to overthrow the powers of darkness. That is God's grand plan. Jesus told his disciples, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. I think there's more in there than just Jesus not wanting his disciples to tell people. I think it's, it doesn't make sense. This transfiguration doesn't make sense without Easter. Because if we just see Jesus and recognize that he's God, and he's done great miracles, but if that's all we keep him as, as God come to do local healings, we're missing what he was all about. We have to take all of scripture from the time of Moses and Elijah, from the law and the prophet, when God first 
had his covenant with his people and promised his love all the way to Jesus' death and resurrection to fully understand how much God loves us, how far God is willing to go to mend our brokenness, to overthrow the darkness. Are our hearts ready to receive that grand of a plan? Are we ready to proclaim the good news in its full greatness? which is often more than we can fully understand. But that is the beauty of it. It is so great that there is room for us to say, I don't understand. Or you know what, God, I messed up again. Can you forgive me again? When we look at the whole picture of God's relationship with us, hope we are overwhelmed by the extent of his love. So what are the barriers for you? What are the obstacles that you need to get over to receive that great love? What are the trials that you are still working through that are keeping you from seeing his full glory? What are the bits of darkness that are obscuring your vision of his light? And what do you need to do to let those things go? So then they come back down the mountain. They have had this amazing encounter with God. They have seen Jesus in a new way. But they can't stay there. Peter wanted to. He had said, I will build these dwellings. It is good for us to be here. But that wasn't the point of this experience. Jesus didn't bring them up the mountain to stay. It was but a short respite where they could be transformed in their relationship with God. But then they had to go back down the mountain. And if we had kept reading, we would see that as soon as they get down the mountain, there are people asking things of Jesus. There are needs to be met. There is life that we have to get back to. But it is hopefully with that new knowledge of who God is and what God is doing. I think it's really easy for us to relate to Peter and that sometimes we don't want to come back down the mountain. If you've ever had a really great vacation 
or gone on a spiritual retreat. And at the end of it, there's just been this sense of fullness, this sense of peace, this clarity you have around God. That's such a beautiful feeling that when you think of what it's going to be like Monday morning, when you go back to the office, there's that little bit of a letdown. That transition is really hard. And we often wish that we could just stay in that space away, stay in that space of concentrated holiness. But Jesus leads us back down the mountain. Because part of what God is doing is building his kingdom here and now. And he has called each and every one of us to be a part of that. We are all tasked with being light bearers against the darkness of this world. And if we are not down in the world, people can't see God's light shining through us. So what are the places that we are called to that we're not fully showing up to? What are the opportunities that perhaps God has laid before us that we have shied away from because we are fearful or because we are tired or because we just don't want to do it? The beauty, though, is that we don't have to be afraid because Jesus comes with us. It is his message that we proclaim. It is God's great work. And we know that the powers of darkness have for all time been vanquished, that Jesus has won. We just get to proclaim the victory. And while we're waiting for that to be fully realized in this world, we get to show bits of what that full victory celebration is going to be like. We get to show the great goodness of our God to others. We get to do that with God's love and support. And this morning, we get to receive God's love and reminder of his power as we come to his table. Because even though Jesus is no longer physically here with us to lead us up that mountainside. He left with us this invitation to come and remember him, to come and be nourished, to receive reminders of his blessings, and to be given all that we need, that as we go back down that mountainside, we will have the strength to shine our light. 
So if you are not sitting with your family right now, I invite you to make your way over to them so that we can, as one family, come to the Lord's table.